When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the holiday season right around the corner, we're all getting into the spirit by indulging in the sights and sounds and scents of the season. One thing I made sure to do was update my native collection with their candy cane holiday scent. Yes, it's real. <laughs> Check it out. Go to nativedo.com forward slash brain. That's nativedo.com forward slash brain. And make sure to use the promo code brain at checkout and get 20% off your first order. Life presents the toughest challenges. Every day you are faced with decisions that test your ability to express who you really want to be in this world. We're told to keep saying affirmations and keep thinking positively, but what do you do when that stuff doesn't work? Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Welcome to the show. My name is Paul Coliani, and I am here to help you increase your emotional intelligence so that you can avoid dysfunction, handle toxic situations with grace and ease, and show up as your authentic self. Everything I talk about in the show is my personal opinion and is meant for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a medical or psychological professional before making any changes that could affect your physical or mental health. I'm laughing a little bit because this is my third take. <laughs> So bear with me as I try to get the intro to this show that I should have memorized out of my mouth. And thank you for your patience and your tolerance. And uh, that is something that we probably need to practice during 2020 and 2021. If you're listening to this show and it comes out, patience and tolerance is probably high on the list nowadays. But there's so much more that we need to practice as well as we near the end of the year and into the next year with new changes. Things are happening. A lot is happening in the world and a lot is happening in the U.S., especially where I am. Transition of power and stuff like that. But don't worry, we're not talking about that. We're talking about you. We're talking about our personal stuff and what we go through. And Today is one of those shows 
that I think I'm going to do some email reading. I have hundreds of emails that just pile up. Uh, they've been there for a while, and some still show up and end up in queue. And uh, sometimes I just never get to them. So if you have sent me an email, I want to tell you that I have very likely received it. I have very likely skimmed through it or read the whole thing. And if you received a reply from me, congratulations. <laughs> because that is not something I really have time to do typically because I get so many. And um, I will say this, if you do ever send me an email, I usually get to the shorter ones faster. Now that's tough because some people send their life story and I don't mind receiving those. I read them. I absolutely do. But if you want them addressed, I will A, most likely address it on the show and uh, B, most likely address it sooner if I can read through it faster. So it does help to be succinct. However, I'm not putting you down for writing a life story. If you've written me a life story, that's okay too. It's just going to take me longer, and it's going to take me a while to get through it and get back to you because I received so many. So this is a little bit of behind-the-scenes information. If you reached out to me before and said, you know, I shared my entire life story with you. Why didn't you respond? That's why there's a lot of information that I have to go through on a daily basis, just like you. You have to go through a lot of information on a daily basis. Uh, or I'm assuming you do, but most people do. Why? Because it's the information age. It's the technological age. It's where we have access to all this information, and it's coming at us a mile a minute, and we can get it uh, in a split second. So we can go online, get the information, get the news, and then develop all of our conspiracies and spread the word of what we believe, <laughs> or something like that. I try not to do that, but uh, there are people that you know, and maybe it's you spreading any conspiracies or debunking conspiracies, whatever. We could talk about all of these subjects at another time and day or never. How about that? <laughs> we just never talk about that because we see enough of it. We see enough of it. But I like learning more about our brains. I like learning more about psychology and how we communicate and how we relate to each other. I love how people in our lives act as mirrors for us. They also act as stimuli for our emotional triggers. Some good, some not so good, some happy, some sad, uh, some angry, and other emotional triggers that we carry around. But I love how people show up in our lives and reveal what's going on inside of us, especially when we don't know what's going on inside of us. So it's nice to have these mirrors in our life so that we can gauge what's happening inside of ourselves, if you don't already know. And typically, if you are going along fine and you meet someone that ticks you off, there's something going on inside you. Now, that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. I'm just saying when you're emotionally charged by somebody's behavior or words and you feel like reacting to it, then you may have something that you're carrying around that is either productive or not. That is sort of the way I look at emotions. I mean, if we're going to talk about emotional intelligence, I love looking at emotions as either productive or not. And it really depends on the context in which these emotions appear for you to determine if they're productive or not. Because somebody might come along and say, well, you know, 
uh, violent anger isn't productive. I mean, if you get really angry where you become violent, how is that productive? I could probably come up with an example. If it took a violent anger for me to rescue a child being held at gunpoint by some crazy person, and I was able to rescue that child, I would say that my violent anger was productive. So I don't like to look at emotions as, I mean, you've heard this before, I don't like to look at emotions as good or bad, but I do like to look at them as productive or not productive, or even better, resourceful or not resourceful. Is this emotion resourceful? I think that's a great question to ask yourself when you have an emotional response that maybe uh, doesn't feel very good. So let's just say that uh, somebody says something that is very hurtful or disrespectful. When you feel an emotional response inside of you, if you do, ask yourself, is this emotion that I'm having productive or not productive? Is it resourceful or not resourceful? Somebody disrespects you and you go, oh, that son of a, you know, I can't believe that person disrespected me. I am so angry. Is anger productive? Well, yes. I mean, in general, anger can be productive. I just gave an example that in certain contexts, it is productive. So what I'm going to do is ask myself, is anger productive right now? Because if it's not, what is building up inside of you that you're holding on to, that you're carrying with you? So you get angry. If it's productive anger, it needs to be utilized, either expressed or worked out somehow. You need to get it out of your system. Non-productive or unresourceful emotions uh, need to be expressed or expelled or released or processed so that they don't linger. So we're looking at emotions that linger and do those lingering emotions serve you if the answer is no, if they're not productive or resourceful, then they need to be released. We can't walk around with them building up inside of us where we're carrying them around and they're coming out in other destructive ways that certainly aren't productive or even useful. Meaning you could be carrying around anger from 20 years ago and get angry at something today that has nothing to do with what's really happening today, but something to do with what happened 20 years ago. So if you're carrying around unproductive or non-productive or unresourceful emotions that don't serve you, it comes out in other ways, which is why it's important they are expressed or processed, released. Talk to a professional, talk to a best friend, get them out of your system. And this also means the emotions that you're not too proud of or don't want to feel vulnerable about meaning shame and guilt and embarrassment, humiliation, all of those emotional responses need to be addressed as well. So if you've never told anyone what your mom caught you doing <laughs> when you were younger and it bothers you to this day, it might be helpful to find someone you trust to express it to or at least bring it up in yourself to be addressed and expressed and processed and released. Not necessarily in that order, but you know what I mean. It's sort of like if you've been listening to my show for the last seven years now, 
Uh, yeah, in fact, just seven years, November 2020. If you've been listening to my show all this time, you've heard me talk about the things I am embarrassed by, the things that I feel guilty about, the things I feel shame for, and also things that I have felt humiliated by. I have put it out into the world, not because I'm playing a victim, not because I want somebody to say, hey, Paul, it's all right. I'm not, I'm not looking for that at all. I'm actually putting it out there because I want to get it out of my system. I want you to get these things out of your system because carrying them around inhibits you. It hinders you. It causes you to not think clearly and especially not feel clearly. I don't want you to go around feeling unclear or in that foggy state. You have the ability to feel so much clearer when you are able to get the lingering negative emotions out of you. I don't mind lingering positive emotions. When I think of certain things that happened in my life, I laugh. And that's a lingering positive emotion, like that trick I played on my dad once. <laughs> I won't tell you. Well, maybe I will. Um, it was kind of a mean trick, but it made me laugh my butt off. So I don't want to... Uh, well, I guess I'll tell you. When I lived with my dad, I got a bunch of those little black spider rings that you buy at Halloween. You can put them on your finger and it looks like a spider. Well, I cut all the rings off and I laid out at least, I don't know, 30 of them under his blanket in his bed. <laughs> it was a really mean thing to do. And after I did it, it was like in the morning, I forgot all about it. I went on with my day. I went to work. I came back from work. We were both getting ready for bed. He went to his room and I was still up. And then he opened the bedroom door holding his heart. <laughs> and I looked at his face, and his eyes were wide, and he was so scared. And I didn't know what was happening. I thought he was having a heart attack. I didn't remember putting those in his bed. But then he finally said, I got in bed, and I put my feet under the bed, and I felt something, and I pulled the blanket aside, and I saw, all, and as soon as he said it, I started cracking up and literally crying because it was so funny. I was young, but <laughs> he told me the story. And since that day, my point is, that lingering emotion has stuck with me. It's an association to that memory. And every time I think of that memory, I get a chuckle. It was mean. I probably shouldn't have done it. At the same time, I was young. And back then, we find those things funny, at least young men do typically but it was funny back then uh and maybe it's funny to some people now but i certainly would never do that to my girlfriend she would kill me that would be a relationship ending event <laughs> so that's not going to happen those kind of uh, jokes or pranks to scare someone uh, i don't do that anymore to anyone anyway but back then it was funny so that's what i mean by the lingering emotion some of them can be helpful and beneficial and fun in your life and that can be healthy for you, your mind, your body. And some emotions aren't. Some emotions, they stick with you. I mean, think about some of the stuff that you've done in your past or that were done to you that are still in there. What emotions are attached to what memories that when you think of that memory, the emotion comes up 
and it sticks with you. It lingers. It is like a residue that you can't wipe off. So this is why it's important to process and maybe express them to someone or go through them yourself. Listen to episodes of my show where I talk about drilling down into the emotions and finding the origin of the emotion and going beyond the origin and digging even deeper and asking you what's worse than that and how about what emotions were you feeling before that? There are all kinds of episodes where I talk about drilling down into the emotions. And uh, one of the episodes is um, stupid questions that lead to healing. So if you're looking for an episode like that, head over to theoverwhelmedbrain.com, type in stupid questions, and you'll see an article come up. Um, it might be an episode, but I, I did write an article on that too, but you'll find that, and uh, that'll help you with any lingering emotions. I'm not saying that it's going to resolve all your problems, but it could help you uh, get to the bottom of those things and maybe break them apart and loosen the grip that you have on them so that you can release them. That's kind of nice, not going around with these negative emotions. And this is why during the seven years I've done this show, I've expressed these events in my life and these lingering feelings and emotions that I've had to get them out of my system. It's not healthy to carry around negativity, even though sometimes it feels impossible not to. I understand that. I understand that there have been maybe some major traumatic events that have happened in your life that when you think about it, you feel something about it. But ask yourself, is this resourceful? Is this productive at this time? Because when you ask yourself those questions, you're going to come up with some interesting answers and thoughts about those answers. Because if you say, well, no, it's not productive, you might ask yourself another question. And I'm not going to tell you what question is going to come up for you because that's going to be unique to you. So asking yourself, is this a productive emotion or feeling? I kind of differentiate that. Let's talk more emotional intelligence here. I talk about emotions and I talk about feelings. And feelings are what the body feels about when we're having the emotions. Or when we're having the emotions, our body feels it. But is there a separation? Eh, I, I don't think so. I mean... I think emotions are the feelings in the body. We are interpreting those feelings and having an emotional response, at least the way we have defined these feelings using our language. So if we feel uh, some tickly thing in our stomach, that could be either anxiety or happiness. And this is why sometimes we need to ask ourselves, wait, 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 is this a productive emotion right now? Or is this a resourceful emotion right now? Because it's helpful to start defining the feelings that you're having in a way that you understand if it serves you or not. Because if you figure out that an emotion doesn't serve you, the next step is the next question that comes up in your mind. You can probably already think of some questions now, but I don't want to fill that in for you. I want you to fill that in. Is this emotion productive right now? Is this emotion useful right now? If you don't like those other words, useful is a good one. And of course, does this emotion serve me? And when you come up with an answer, another question will come to mind. Or another comment will come to mind. This helps loosen the grip. This helps break it apart. And it also helps to detach the emotion from the memory. You know, there's an interesting thing I learned in NLP many years ago. 
uh, where somebody did a process or a technique where they said, think of a memory that has a negative emotion attached to it and picture that memory in your mind as if you were looking at an 8 by 10 picture of it. So putting your hands in front of you, holding that picture, you have this picture of the negative emotions. It's a still picture. So whatever happened back then, you now have in your hands a picture of it. And when you look at the picture, there are emotions attached to the picture. Where are the emotions attached to the picture? The emotions might be attached with a paper clip on a yellow sticky note. <laughs> the yellow sticky note says anger or hurt or sad or afraid. It might be one or more emotions. So this sticky note or however it's attached for you, maybe it's uh, scotch tape, maybe it's hanging at the bottom where there's a hole in the picture and there's a thread through the hole and that thread is attached to the emotion which is either a sticky note or maybe it's a piece of bark that somebody engraved the emotion in the wood. You can come up with anything you want, whatever works for you, but the memory, which is the picture, is attached to the emotion, another object, which allows you, because you visualize this, it allows you to detach the emotion from the memory. This doesn't change the memory. It doesn't change history. It just allows you to remove the emotion from that memory. And not all of this I learned, but uh, this is sort of something I'm thinking about as we go. I'm kind of making up some of this because you can do this in your head. You can visualize things. You can move things around in your head. You can change things in your head, in your brain, so that previously unresourceful, unproductive, and unuseful memories are no longer a toxic residue in your life. You can do this. You can do anything you want in your brain because it's your brain. <laughs> so you take this memory, which is right now the way I'm describing it, a picture, and I'm going to put this picture on a clothesline. If you've ever seen a clothesline, you have those clothespins and you take the clothespins and you put it around the clothesline and it holds the picture up. This is what they used to do in photography anyway. They'd hang the picture up so it'll develop. So now I have this picture attached to this emotion, and I'm going to disconnect the emotion, or emotions. Now I picture maybe multiple emotions on there. So I'm going to take one or all of those emotions attached to it, take it off the picture, and then I'm going to roll the clothesline away from me because it's on one of those pulleys. So you can pull the other end of the line, and it'll pull it away from you. So there goes the memory way over there getting smaller and smaller while you're holding on to these emotions. But what are you going to do with these emotions? So now we have the picture way over there. It's no longer attached to these emotions. And we can go through these emotions and ask ourselves, are these productive emotions? Are these resourceful emotions? Are these useful? Some of them might be. Some of them may not be. Some of them may serve you today. Maybe they act as a motivator so that you don't get into that situation ever again. Or maybe they act as an inhibitor. Maybe they act as an obstacle to your happiness. This is where you can do something else with those emotions. And that something else might be, I don't know, maybe you could put all the negative emotions into a bucket. You could take all these emotions, put them in a bucket, 
and then uh, seal the bucket, or maybe they get absorbed and become resourceful in a different context. That's kind of what I would do. Like I would put my negative emotions in this bucket so that they become resourceful again. Because you might have a sadness attached to an old memory or a picture, and that sadness has always hindered you in some way or slowed you down or became an obstacle to your happiness, which means it really hasn't been serving you. If it hasn't been serving you, how can it serve you? How can this sadness serve you? This is when you make an unresourceful emotion resourceful. This is like when I was talking about guilt when I was in my 20s and I took my two cats to the animal shelter and I didn't want to deal with them anymore. I, I felt really guilty years later because I was so selfish. I felt like I could have taken care of them, but I was too immature to think that they were actually living, breathing, emotional beings. And I just took them out of their home and brought them to a shelter because I didn't want to deal with them. I still feel bad about it today. I still feel bad. I feel sad that it happened. But that sadness drives me in a positive way. That sadness drives me in a good way because every animal since then I have treated like royalty. I have given to animal charities. I absolutely treat animals 180 degrees differently than I used to. And even though I may not ever be able to get rid of the sadness, it continues to compel me to do what I believe is the right thing. And so sadness in this context serves me. This is something that you can think about if you have an emotion that you feel doesn't serve you. How can you make it serve you? How can you make it productive? How can you make it resourceful? Because the past doesn't really change, and if you've separated the emotion from the picture of the memory, it can really help you process that memory differently. But now let's put those emotions into a bucket that allows us to transform them into something productive. All kinds of strange things I'm talking about now, I know, but I wanted to present these to you just in case you had something going on in there. And I did start off by saying that I wanted to read some emails and go through these emails and uh, see how far I can get. I may only get to two or three of them, but um, when we come back, I'm going to do that. I'm going to read you a couple of emails and give you some variety today, and we'll see where we can go with them. And I hope I have the ultimate solution for everyone. <laughs> that will be a trick. We'll see. Be right back after this. Yes, it happened. I can't believe it happened, but in the mail about a month ago, I opened a box from Native and I saw the word candy cane. <laughs> I thought, candy cane? This is a deodorant? And I decided that I was going to try it and see what my girlfriend said. And uh, I put it on and I immediately smelled the pepperminty smell of candy cane. I thought, this is an interesting smell. Let's see what happens. 
And my girlfriend said, are you eating a candy cane? And I said, no. And she goes, what is that? And so I showed her. I was like, it's native. It's a deodorant that just came in the mail, and I wanted to try it. And she looked at me, and she said, I love it. I want it. And I immediately lost my candy cane deodorant, which is okay. <laughs> I have my other smells that I love from native. She took the candy cane, and now she wears that, especially because it's Christmas, and she loves that smell. And so I want you to get your candy cane scent before December 7th. I know this is really cutting it close. When you hear this, it comes out on the 5th, Sunday, December 5th of 2020. That means you have today, tomorrow, and the next day if you're listening to this when it comes out. If you're not, then you will not be able to get it delivered before Christmas. That doesn't mean you still can't get it. I just want you to try to get it before Christmas because what a cool Christmas gift. Native is a great Christmas gift and the perfect addition to your daily routine this holiday season. And native deodorants don't just block odor better. They're made better. They have ingredients that you've heard of like coconut oil and shea butter. It's also vegan and never tested on animals. And I love that fact and so does my girlfriend. I want you to check out a great gift option, their candy cane gift set and all the native products, which are great stocking stuffers for everyone on your list. It's risk-free to try. Every product comes with free shipping in the U.S. plus 30-day returns and exchanges. That means they have faith in their products and they have faith that you'll love them. See why so many people love Native and check out the over 14,000 five-star reviews. Give the gift of Native by going to nativedo.com forward slash brain. That's nativedo.com forward slash brain. Or use the promo code BRAIN during checkout and you'll get 20% off your first order. Again, try to order before December 7th to get your products in time for Christmas. If you don't get it by December 7th, well then, nothing wrong with a late gift. My mom loves that. <laughs> My mom loves when the party's over and then a gift comes. It's like a whole new party. So I want you to celebrate too. NativeDEO.com forward slash brain. Use the promo code BRAIN during checkout and get 20% off your first order. All right, let's see if we can go through a lightning round of emails. I have not organized these in any fashion, so we're going to get a variety here. This first one talks about um, jealousy in her relationship. She says, my boyfriend dated a girl for years before I came along, and they've been apart for about four years, and we've been together for almost a year. They clearly have a lot of history together. They live together, moved to a new city together. She's a very pretty girl, at least in the photos, and it seems to have her life together. And as far as I know, brought a lot to the table. And uh, I'm also pretty, although I don't usually feel that way, and I have a lot going on, and I share a lot of hobbies with my boyfriend. I'm struggling with jealousy of his past with this person, and I'm trying to measure up to the idea that I've created in my head of how they were together. He's reassured me that everything wasn't perfect with her. They had plenty of issues that we don't have, but we also have issues that they didn't have. And even though he assures me every day that he loves me and that I am what he wants, I feel like I don't always measure up to what he wants or needs in a relationship. I'm worried that she's prettier, more fun, exciting, etc. How do I stop comparing our relationship to his past relationship? I know a little bit about it, but I've created so many ideas in my head about how they were, and I keep comparing everything to those ideas. Thank you so much. You are amazing. Feel free to use my name if it's 
easier than coming up with a new one. No, I'm not going to use your name. I want to keep everyone anonymous here. And I thank you for sharing this. I did do a couple episodes on jealousy. I highly, highly recommend you listen to those episodes at theoverwhelmedbrain.com. In the search field, just type in the word jealous, and you'll see articles and episodes that I've come out with. Definitely give those a listen. For my quick answer to this, one of the things that I had to do myself when I got with one of my girlfriends in the past, I was jealous of her past and her past relationship. She was with a guy that was, I think, better looking, definitely bigger and stronger than I was, had more money. I mean, you name it, the guy beat me in every way. I mean, not beat me, but he outdid me in in so many ways, at least the way I looked at it. And I had jealousy issues. I thought, geez, I'm never going to be able to compare to this guy. Yet, she doesn't want him. So I, I had to get on board with the fact that she didn't want him. And that my standards aren't her standards. Like, she may look at someone like that and go, yeah, he's stronger and he can probably lift a sleeper couch and you can't. But I don't want someone whose specialty is lifting sleeper couches. I want you. Okay, I can get on board with that. But he's so much better looking. Well, if better looks comes with emotionally abusive behavior, I don't want that. I want you. Okay, so does that mean I'm bad looking? Of course not, because I chose you. So I started to have all these thoughts. I would compare myself to someone else and think, well, all that good stuff that I see by my standards, and she chose me, why would she choose me? It doesn't matter, because she chose you, just like your boyfriend chose you. So that's one aspect of jealousy that I look at, is that sometimes we see things that we think are better on someone else, and sometimes they are. (laughs) This guy is definitely stronger than I am, but does she value strength over everything else? So I really had to put into perspective all the stuff that I saw that I felt lacking in myself that she wasn't looking for those as primary components of a desirable partner. So the person that you're thinking of may have components of a desirable partner for other people and maybe even your boyfriend, yet there are a lot of undesirable components and that's especially true because he's no longer with her. So there's part one of my answer on jealousy. Part two is you have to address your insecurity in yourself, regardless of who you're with. You have to address your low self-worth, regardless of who you're with. Because if you don't own who you are, every imperfection, every little piece of you that you think could be better, your personality, your body, your health, your amount of money, your whatever... Whatever you feel insecure about or feel that you are lacking in, you need to turn that around and own who you are. You need to own it. You need to say, yeah, that's me. All 20 pounds overweight or 120 pounds overweight, that's me. That's what you get. If you don't like it, then you're with the wrong person. And when you start doing this and owning this stuff, it starts to become a non-issue. These are the quick answers. We can dive into this stuff, but I dive into this stuff in the jealousy episode, so go there. But I'm giving you this quick answer. You need to own the weakest parts of you, the most lacking parts of you, the ugliest parts of you, the unhealthiest parts of you, whatever it is. You need to own it all. 
good example of that is when I met my current girlfriend uh, many, many years ago. It was after my divorce, and I was on an online dating site. And after about a month, I decided, what the heck am I doing? I just got divorced. Why do I want to date so quick? I don't even know what it's like to be single. I've never been really single and wanted to be single ever in my life. So I decided that I was going to let my subscription run out the next day, which was like a 30-day period, and I'll cancel online dating. But the day before I did that, my current girlfriend reaches out and says, hi. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to show up as completely authentic and show her that I am no prize and this is what's going on in my life and this is who I am. So I wrote back and said, hey, I know this is a dating site, but I've decided that I'm not going to date. Uh, it's too soon. I'm still healing from my divorce. I was kind of a jerk. Um, <laughs> I, I don't have much money. In fact, I have a business that's failing. And um, because I'm no longer married, I moved 3,000 miles uh, from the other coast to live with my mom in her basement. So if you want to talk, <laughs> we can. But this is who I am. This is where I'm at. And if you don't want to talk, that's great. This is a dating site. You're looking for someone to date. I'm not going to date. I'm going to stay single. And this is just the way it is. So great to meet you. And I understand that you probably don't want to write back. I sent that out. I sent that out knowing she would never respond to that. Well, this is a dating site. I don't want to date someone that doesn't even have it all together. Shortly after, a few hours after that, I get a message from her that says, LOL. <laughs> it's so refreshing to meet someone who's honest. And I thought, what? I, my entire life, I was painting myself to other people as better than I felt, better looking than I felt, as having more money than I had, and being in a better position in life than I, I, I always painted a better picture. I always made it sound like I was a really great guy. I finally accepted where I was in life, and that I was no longer going to just tell someone what I believed they wanted to hear, and I was just going to tell them the truth. This is who I am, and this is what's happening to me, and I owned it. And I wrote that to her, and she wrote back, LOL, it's so refreshing to meet someone honest. And then she told me about herself. And I thought, is, is she just sending me a pity email here? I don't know. So we ended up writing back and forth and getting to know each other with no false pretenses. And I didn't have to be anyone but myself. My point is, I owned it. I owned who I was. So if you know you have your flaws and you have to work on these flaws, uh, then just own those flaws. Own everything about you. Own all the good and the bad. Because a lot of people aren't going to do that. The person that you're talking about, his ex-girlfriend, she's going to have her flaws. She's going to have her imperfections. She may be nice in this area and terrible in this other area. She may have a pretty face and an ugly personality. And if all you're looking at is the face, you're going to miss the personality. And this is dangerous. We don't want to do that. So jealousy is a tough one to get through. It usually happens when you're younger, teens and 20s, sometimes 30s. So if you are young, then as you grow up and you date more people and you become more certain and comfortable in your own skin, the jealousy goes away. I promise. Unless you have some severe insecurity and self-worth issues, 
then you have to work on that stuff. You have to work on it anyway, but I hope this information helps you and this leads you in a new direction. You do have some episodes to listen to on jealousy, so check those out. Thank you for writing that. I'm going to get to the next email here. Again, lightning round. Let's do this. Uh, let's see. This is a relationship question. I mean, the, other, the last one was too, but it was on jealousy. This one is about second chances or third chances. person says, I'm in my late 20s, and I know I'm a victim of emotional abuse, and the person that she's talking about had drunken rages, punching walls, yelling in my face. But about four months ago, I had a moment of an enlightenment, probably from you, she says, and said to my husband, stop this or I'm done. Things improved for a few weeks. He exhibited more drunken bad behavior once or twice thereafter, but then he quit drinking. And after a week or so without drinking, things got much better. However, even though the good times are good, I think I'm now a victim of much more covert emotional abuse. It comes in the form of him being judgmental toward me, blaming me for his bad behavior, criticizing me, keeping score in the relationship, and even when I can't pinpoint something specific, our encounters leave me with an overall sense of unease. At times, I have found myself fantasizing about him doing something so obviously bad, giving me concrete evidence to point out, so that I have no option other than leaving the relationship. I recently left the house because of a verbally abusive episode. I am almost totally out of contact with him right now, free from the toxic environment, and I'm really struggling with what to do from here. My question to you is this. Is a third chance worth considering? In other words, is there hope for his recovery and I just need to give him patience? Is there a reason to keep exhausting efforts or is it time to cut losses and say, see ya? Thank you for all you do and for those of us who are lost. Thank you. Thank you for sharing this. I know you're in a challenging situation here. When you love someone and they do bad behavior, it is very, very difficult to know what to do. Uh, I always use the philosophy of the 50% rule in relationships. I don't know if I made this up or not, but if you are happy more than 50% of the time in your relationship, then you're on the good side where the relationship you could probably handle and get through it okay and maybe things are great. Uh, but if you are unhappy more than 50% of the time, then the relationship isn't going to work out. I mean, I say that knowing that I could be wrong, but you have to kind of set some standards for yourself and look at these rules and make some boundaries so that you can guide yourself in the right direction. If you can say, I am unhappy more than 50% of the time in this relationship, then no, a third chance isn't going to work. These are the quick answers. We could dive into it, like I said, but the quick answer is no, it's not going to work. Now, Saying that, your big question in capitals says, is a third chance worth considering? My answer is yes, but it shouldn't be until the person who is doing the bad behavior has a realization that they are not only doing the bad behavior, but also harmful for you. This is going to be a rare occurrence in someone. Fantastic that he quit drinking because obviously drinking caused him to act worse. But like you said, you're experiencing covert abuse. Yeah, I, I think you are because the drinking most likely helped him curb some emotions that maybe he couldn't deal with. I'm just guessing here, but some people drink because of this. They drink because they don't want to feel the negative emotions. But when they quit drinking, 
what are they doing with the negative emotions that they haven't processed and released yet? If they're not seeking therapy, if they're not working through them, processing them, expressing them, and releasing them, just like I talked about in the last segment, then what are they doing? And it sounds like what's happening here is those emotions are festering inside of him, and he has no outlet except you. And so what happens is it comes out in passive-aggressive ways, active-aggressive ways, and suddenly you're trying to figure out why you feel so bad all the time because you really can't pinpoint what's going on. That is a classic emotional abuse model where you have trouble pinpointing why you feel bad, especially bad about yourself, because what that's what they do. They try to make you feel guilty, and they try to make you think that you're responsible for the unhappiness in the relationship as a whole. So if you're in this space where you're feeling bad more than 50% of the time, then being in the relationship is unhealthy for you. And I told you, yes, the third chance is worth considering, but only when he reaches a realization that he is doing bad behavior, he admits it, and he knows he's harmful to you. And the third thing is, of course, he cares about your well-being and happiness. If he doesn't care about your well-being and happiness, meaning he does things and sees you unhappy, and he sees you hurt by what he says to you, and he somehow feeds off of that, where he feels right and feels righteous and feels like he's accomplished something when he makes you feel bad, then you'll never feel good in that relationship. And that just means that he is not accessing empathy, which keeps you feeling bad. And it also keeps his bad behavior continuing. So my only suggestion for you is if he says that he's been a jerk and he knows he's been hurtful and that it's actually smart of you to stay away for a while while he works on his stuff, then yes, a third chance is possible, but not together. Meaning, you don't move back in together. You stay apart. You look for that behavior while you're apart. And you might have to stay apart for a while. You might have to stay separated for a while. Like I've said in other episodes, marriage and relationships, when you split up, doesn't mean it's over. It could mean that, but it doesn't have to mean that. Just because you split up or leave someone doesn't mean, okay, it's over and we'll never get together again. It could mean a new beginning. It could mean that you both heal and process and release some stuff and get through some emotional triggers and maybe get therapy or whatever. It could mean all of that and then you connect later. But I sometimes encourage separation so that you can work on yourself and reflect so that you can come back as a better version of yourself, a new and improved version of yourself, because you always want to bring the best version of you into the relationship. At least, you know, you try. You try to bring the best version of yourself into the relationship. It doesn't always work, so you work on yourself, and hopefully you can work on it together. But in a situation like this, where you leave many interactions feeling bad or feeling something negative, something's going on. When you feel supported and loved and treated with kindness and respect, that's going to be a different feeling than feeling bad or guilty or like you're responsible for the problems. So when you leave an interaction feeling all the negatives and not those positives that I mentioned, then yes, there's likely some covert abuse going on there and he needs to work on that. And you get to find out just how much they've evolved 
when you talk to them over the weeks and months and maybe longer to make sure that they realize they're doing this behavior. If he adamantly denies he's doing hurtful behavior, then he's not going to get it. It's just not going to happen. And that's when the third chance is not a good idea. If he doesn't recognize it, if he's not working on it, and he thinks that you're just seeing things or you're just too sensitive, then no, a third chance is not a good idea. But a third chance is a good idea if he's recognizing this about himself. If he realizes, gee, you know, I stopped drinking, now I have no other coping mechanism, I need to figure this out, and we need to stay apart while I figure this out, because I don't want to hurt you anymore, then you're on a good path. But until you get to that point, I don't believe it's a good idea. So I'm going to leave it there for you, and I hope this gives you enough. And thank you so much for your email. Thank you for your words. And I appreciate you tuning in. Great to connect with you today. We'll be right back, and I'll say my thank yous and goodbyes after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to remind you to head over to nativedo.com. That's nativedeo.com forward slash brain and use the promo code brain to get 20% off your first order. You can smell like peppermint today. Of course, they have other scents too. And I want to thank the patrons of the week. These are the financial backers of the show. They join the patron program or donate to the show financially. And I am so appreciative of the following people this week. Victoria, Tracy, Andrea, Crystal, Christy, Christy, Callie. <laughs> okay, too many K's and too many CH's and too many things that sound like Chris, Christy, and Crystal. I guess start separating you into different weeks. But <laughs> actually, it makes me laugh. So maybe I'm going to keep it just the way it is. I am grateful for all of you. Thank you so much for joining the patron program and offering your financial support every month. And every week I read existing and new patron members that join over at moretob.com. If you find value in this show and you want to give back, you can head over to moretob.com and you'll have an option to give a one-time donation or a monthly donation and you can join the patron program over there, which is basically uh, just about 100 episodes I've done that you've never heard unless you're in the program. And I've done a lot of uh, workbooks and worksheets over there. And um, I offer discounts on my products and you even get a video archive, all kinds of things. So if you give to the show, I try to give back over at moretob.com. Thank you, patron members, all of you. I am so grateful for you. And I mentioned love and abuse today. I have another podcast called Love and Abuse. It is about emotionally abusive behavior and control and manipulation and all the hurtful behaviors that people that we love do to us. And I really don't like that it happens. So <laughs> I created a show called Love and Abuse. I've been doing it since February of 2019. And there's plenty of stuff to listen to over there. If you don't know what emotional abuse is, it is a good idea to get familiar with it because sometimes people do it and they don't even know they're doing it. Sometimes you do it and you don't know you're doing it. I did it for a good 35 years of my life and I had to learn how to heal from it and move on from it. And you might get a lot from the show Love and Abuse over at loveandabuse.com. And uh, just in case you're listening and you've written to me and you've said, hey, look, I am an emotionally abusive person 
and I really want to heal, and I've gotten quite a few of those, I want to let you know that I am working on something starting at the very beginning of next year to help you heal from being the emotionally abusive person. As a former emotionally abusive person myself, I have a very unique perspective. I had to climb the very difficult mountain of believing I was right about everything and trying to control my partners throughout life and get over myself to the point where I stopped being hurtful. And if you are one of those people that thinks they need to control or hurt the other person, or maybe you don't mean to hurt them, but it just happens because you know you're right, but it turns into emotionally abusive behavior, know that there is a resource coming for you. In fact, if you want to get on the waiting list for that resource, head over to healedbeing.com. This is the first time I've ever mentioned this for emotionally abusive people who want to change. There is hope and help coming your way for the abusive person that wants to change. So if that's you, head over to healedbeing.com. And of course, no matter who you are, if you're in an emotionally abusive relationship, either as the victim or the perpetrator, you will benefit from the Love and Abuse podcast over at loveandabuse.com. And finally, I'd like to thank Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. And I have time to read maybe one quick last email. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to read the, the, the highlight of this email. This person wrote, I get inspired by jobs that I see on the internet, but then get inside my own head and I tell myself that I could never do that, or I'm not good enough for that job. And that puts me back to square one. Okay, thank you for sharing that. I had a similar experience when I was looking for work. Um, and of course, you know, we're in the middle of COVID right now and it's a lot of people out of work and this is a much different environment for looking for work. So a lot of people are saying, I don't care if I'm not good enough for that job, I've got to apply anyway. So that's a healthy way to look at it. You could look at all jobs being scarce and you've got to apply for all of them because you need the work. Totally. But let's just say that we weren't in the middle of COVID and we were in a somewhat normal, healthy work environment where you see jobs on a job board and you think, I'm not good enough. I'll never be able to do that job. There are realities, yes, where you might see a job posting for a web developer or a JavaScript programmer, something that you may, not, may or may not be familiar with. But let's just say that you had no idea how to code. <laughs> how to program a computer and you saw that job listing the reality is you're you're probably not going to be qualified at all and you have to accept that okay I'm not qualified for that job I'll never be able to do that that's a truth that's an absolute truth there's you don't have the skills and you probably couldn't learn the skills within a week or two uh, because some people have been coding for years and you know it just takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of effort and energy and if you're not already savvy it may take you a while to get savvy so there's that reality I'm not qualified for that job because I don't have the skills but let's just say that you had the skills or some skills in another type of job and you started telling yourself uh, I'm just not good enough for that there are other people that are better than me and so you talk yourself out of applying I think that's a mistake because my personal story regarding this is I interviewed for a personal growth company in California once and I went in knowing 
I wasn't qualified for everything they were asking for. They were asking for things like, do you know how to use Google Analytics? Do you know anything about web programming? And I didn't know any of that stuff. But I knew I wanted to work there. <laughs> so I decided to fill out the application and tell them what I did know and also tell them, and I think this is important, that I could learn that. I will absolutely learn that or do my best to learn that. That's what I put on my application, I think, or when they called me. I think they were asking me these questions. So I just decided, you know what, I can learn that. Because it's true. You can learn almost anything unless you have no foundational education where if you don't even know the English language, you might not be able to apply for a job that requires you to speak English. So that might be something that takes a little longer. But for the most part, we have a lot of foundational knowledge under our belts. So this person who wrote and said, you know, I look at the job and I feel like I'm not good enough or I could never do that. Could you learn it? That would be my question to you. Could you learn it? Your answer should be, well, I could probably learn almost anything. Let's just just way out of the ballpark. Like I said, if you don't know how to code a computer or whatever, you probably shouldn't apply for a job that you do coding. But if you've painted furniture all your life and someone's looking for a house painter, you might think, well, I'm not qualified to do that. But you know how to use a paintbrush. You know about the details about painting furniture. So maybe that can translate. And if it couldn't, you could certainly be an apprentice. You could certainly learn it as you go. You could certainly learn how to do a bigger job like that. That's why I believe it's important to always have the attitude of, I can absolutely learn that. Because what's the worst that could happen? Let's just say that an employer says, you know, we're looking for somebody that does this. Can you do that? And your answer is, well, no, I can't do that, but I could learn. Let's just say that you said that and they liked you and they thought, okay, you know, you've got some other qualifications here. And since you said you could learn that, okay, well, come on in and we'll give you another interview or we'll... You know, we'll start you off and we'll see what happens. The worst case scenario is you start learning what you said you could learn and it's way over your head. Okay, you can't learn it or it's going to take you longer. So you go to the boss and say, look, oh my God, I didn't realize how difficult this was. It's going to take me a little longer. Okay, so that's something that the boss can say, well, we need you to learn it faster and it's not going to work out, so see ya. Or they say, well, that's okay. You know, take as much time as you need because you're doing this other stuff and that's what we need more of anyway. That's the worst case scenario. That's not bad at all. I really like those odds. <laughs> you can either go in there and try or don't go at all. But if you don't go at all, you'll never have a chance because you're insecure about maybe not being able to do it. But really, it sounds like there's a fear of rejection here or a fear of letting someone down. And the only person that you're really letting down is yourself. Because you never took the steps to go into that environment and take a chance and just see what you could do, see what you could accomplish. Because you never gave yourself a chance to actually make anything happen. You backed out before it even began. And this is where we're harmful to ourselves because we never give ourselves a chance to try and see what happens. This is a big difference between people who succeed in life and some people who take a lot longer to succeed. I'm not saying you're going to fail, but you could. You could absolutely fail if you don't try because you never have a chance. Giving yourself a chance gives you an opportunity to succeed. And then you persist until you realize you can't. 
This is what I do. I persist at something until I'm either exhausted or I realize that no matter how hard I try, it's not going to happen. But at least I tried. Remember, there is no do, only try. <laughs> yes, I know I have it backwards. I know it. But I really believe in trying because some people don't even take that step. They don't make the call. They don't send the email. They don't walk in the door. They don't even take the first step. And when you're doing that, you're doing nothing. And I'd rather have you do something, one step toward trying to do something instead of doing nothing at all. So this is my advice to you. The person who wrote said, I can't get out of my own head. I, I always tell myself I can't do that or I'm not good enough. And then I never do anything about it. I say, do something about it. Walk in knowing that you don't know everything and tell them, I don't know everything. I don't know how to do that, but I will learn. And I will try as hard as I possibly can. Because you never know. When I interviewed for that personal growth company, there was one other person that was highly qualified, had more skills, knew Google Analytics, knew all of this stuff that I didn't know anything about, and they chose me. And I thought, why did they choose me? That's interesting. And the only thing I could guess was that they liked me more. And when I asked, that's exactly what they said. We liked you more. And that really changed my perspective because I've learned that people just want to work with people that they like and get along with. Yes, you could have skills, and maybe the person with more skills will get hired, but I knew that I could learn anything I put my mind to, and I was willing to take the chance, and they were willing to take the chance on me. And it all worked out, and I eventually quit, and I've talked about that on other shows. But my point is you'll never find out and never get what you want if you don't try. And of course, I don't really mean there is no do, only try, because if you do it, if you do what I'm saying to do, you're going to accomplish a lot more because that's how you learn. And the best education comes from outside of your head. <laughs> so if you really want to learn what steps to take, you have to get out of your head and take the steps and find out what happens. And if you still have any trepidation, all I ask you to do is keep an open mind so that you can step into your power. This is what helps you create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you. You are amazing.
When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers, with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.